Beach. Uh, hello there, Cracker Jack fans. How are you tonight? Is it working out? <laughs> Think you're going to get the big prize someday? Reach in that little old box and out will come the big ultimate prize? Ultima Thula? Well, you just hang it. How you like that literacy there, boy? Ah, Chuch, on you. Oh, it's getting sadder every minute. You just turn around here and you see mankind struggling and flailing away against the iniquities of existence and the way it is. Oh, this poor guy. Listen to this terrible scene. Now, for those of you who uh, own a foreign car, a little type foreign car, maybe you don't know that uh, many of them float. A little, yeah. It's, it's big. Yeah, you didn't know that? I saw a VW one time floating right down the Ohio. Guy fishing out of the back window. But uh, here is a little note here out of one of the papers. Now, you won't find this. This is in one of my... One of my favorite comic papers is a very funny newspaper that I, my spies send me once in a while, the Poughkeepsie Journal, which in itself is a bop. And uh, here's, uh, you know, things here. A little note that says, these foreign compact cars really do float, according to a man in the Poughkeepsie area who had a fantastic experience last night. And uh, would you please, uh, let's give us that first one. We would like to salute this man in Poughkeepsie who had this fantastic experience. Give him a little scene there. Bring it on big. Hit it hard there, Buys a lucky star. A lucky star. Guides him afar. Guides old Danny from afar. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, lucky Lindy. Heavens above. Oh, Rasmus. Look at him flap them old wings. Oh, he's flying higher and higher. Higher into the sky. Oh, lucky Lindy. Lucky Danny. Oh, there he goes. He's going like a big fat old purple bird. That's a salute to this poor son of a gun out there. And hello, hello. Are we back out here? <laughs> the gain sounds right. There it comes. <laughs> anyway, this is the foreign cars really float. This guy had a wild scene last night. Police said that Wesley Hunter told him he was parked near the Hudson River, about 200 feet north of the Dayline Dock. This is up there, you know up there in Poughkeepsie area at about uh, 1.30 p.m. And he's parked by the dock there. So you got the scene now? He's by the dock. It's 1.30, uh, 11.30 p.m. That's, excuse me. It's, you know, just before midnight. He's sitting in the car there right by the Hudson River when all of a sudden, the, apparently, the car rolled into the water. Now, why they say apparently, it's very important. You'll get this when you hear later on here. Uh, Mr. Hunter told police that he and a female companion first realized something was wrong when their feet became wet. Would you please give me a little salute there? Looking out of the window, he said he saw the car was floating in a river. And there they are. They're out in the river. Come on, let's bring it in there. Come on. Lucky Lindy. Lucky Lindy. Flap them wings. Get going there, Daddy. Get it up there. Keep up your airspeed. Keep that nose down. Let's go. Lucky Lindy. Oh, heavens above. Anyway, this guy, he says he, uh, he and a female companion first realized that something was wrong when their feet became wet in the car. And uh, he looked out of the window, and they were out to sea. His car was floating right out in the water there. 
And uh, he said that the vehicle floated. It's going fine till he opened the door. And uh, it sank. <laughs> oh, Hunter, he's always been a loser. It uh, sank in four feet of water. The two occupants waded ashore, and they reported the incident to a local patrolman. And we don't know whatever happened to the car. You know, speaking of that, they're all... It's not easy being a person. I'll tell you, it's very, very difficult. Now, I'm serious. Now, the other day, you know, the whole week, last week, I was hanging around a horse show down there at the garden. And, you know, you see all these tall, horsey-looking girls driving these horses around, and, you know, their pants are tight. You could see it was grabbing them at places. And they, and they uh, you know, they've got all the makeup, and they got hair nets on and snoods and all that stuff. And I could see it's very, very difficult because I did not see one single horse, not one horse, that was wearing tight riding pants. And some of them horses could have used it. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you, it's a terrible scene. And uh, so I came to the conclusion that it's much more difficult being a person than a horse. I mean, these horses just stand around, you know, they eat and they jump over things. I could do that. It's not easy. Of course, I, you know, oh, yeah, oh, in life, you got to do a lot of jumping over hurdles and what kind or another, you know, and, and uh, whip you in the belt you in the behind, and, you know, you just keep jumping and running around. But nevertheless, you see, the trouble with man is that he's a complainer. Horses, you know, horses don't. Did you see the great, oh, one of the greatest scenes I ever saw in my life at a horse show the other night? It was worth seeing. I'll tell you, it was worth the price of admission. Uh, they had this hunter class. Now, you know what is it, a hunter class? They run, you know, they run around, they jump over these fences, and everybody looks very jazzy. You know, they wear the traditional hunting clothes with the little silk hat and the whip and that. I often wonder what Mr. Bruner would have thought had he seen these hunters. <laughs> oh, yeah, I could just see him looking out from under the porch with a skin full. And he sees the hunters going by, and he says, what are all them sissies going by? But uh, nevertheless, uh, the, you know, they run around. They run around out there, and they jump over these. You've seen pictures of the hunters and stuff, and, and they jump over the hurdles and so on. Well, uh, one horse came running out. They had this uh, doorway scene. They blow a little horn, and wah, And uh, then they announce in the garden who the horse is, you see. And here comes, uh, and now, Sir Golden Dilemma, driven and owned by Dr. L.D. Watanabe. And uh, out of the Watanabe Hunt Farms. And then the horse comes tearing out. Except that's not the announcement of this one. It was a great moment. This horse comes running out, see? Great, big, beautiful-looking horse. And everybody applauds. He's about 40 feet high, see? Big ears. And he's got, the, and he's got about $7,000 worth of junk hanging out of him. You know, all this expensive saddles and little sandwich cases and the whole shtick, you know. Oh, yeah, you know, they're very traditional in this hunter business. You, you have a sandwich case... And you have to have a flask hanging on the side. Now, that's Mr. Bruner would have dug that side of it. And uh, they have a, yeah, you have to have a flask. If you don't have the flask, they take notes. You know, they take little demerits off. I know certain places where if you come in with a flask, they take demerits off. But at the horse show, they take demerits off if you don't have a flask. Now, they don't say what's in the flask. And I presume, you know, there's a little white lightning there, a little... Yeah, it's, these guys, are, you know, you're running around out there after a fox. That's not the easy work. Of course, it's a hell of a lot worse tough work being a fox. I mean, with all them, the people running around chasing, yelling, and hollering around after. But nevertheless, this fantastic horse comes running out of the out of the chute, see? He comes tearing out into the ring, and there's 15,000 people. And everybody applauds. And boy, what a horse. You know, it looked like... I'll tell you, he looked... Uh, he made Trigger look like... Uh, 
you know, looked like a squirrel. This is, this is a real horse. It was about 17 feet high, big red eyes, you know, snorting, tail flopping around. Oh, what a horse, you know. And uh, the rider sitting up there with a red coat and one of these little black hats on with the white foulard, the, you know, the pin and all that, the whip. And the horse comes <laughs> The horse snorts, and everybody cheers. And then they blow the little horn. They go, Wah! and the horse starts running around. About ten different fences there to jump. You know, these, these fences are about maybe four feet high, four and a half feet, something like that. And the horse runs up to the first fence, and everybody's cheering, see? He runs up to the first fence, and the rider is whipping him, and everybody's cheering, you know, and everybody's watching. He runs up to the first fence. He gets right up to the fence, and he goes, Wah! He stops. I'll tell you, he kicked up dust. He was not going to go over that fence, I'll tell you, any more than you're going to go out of the 34th floor of the Empire State Building. He was not going. He just stopped, and the rider went, oh! The rider flies over, and the next thing I see, the rider's got a hold of the, the horse by the ears. He flies over, he climbs back on, and he makes another turn. He whips the horse, and the horse runs up to the fence again and goes, oh! He stops, and the rider flies up again, grabs him by the ear, and this time... The horse looked back, and I'll tell you, it was one of the greatest looks I ever saw on an animal. The horse looks back at the rider, and you know what his expression said? Look, let's not bother to jump, but I can climb over this one. <laughs> and his leg goes over. <laughs> and then they announced the name of the horse. This is, you know, our watching number 248, Cowardly Lion. What a great name for a horse that did not want to jump, Cowardly Lion. Well, they got him over the first one, and actually what happened was that the driver got off and lifted the back end of him over. See, and they got him over the first one. He runs at the second one. Everybody's applauding. He says, he's going to do it this time. He runs at the second one, and he goes, whoa! He stopped, and this time the rider took three jumps by himself. He just took right off over the back of that horse. Would you please give me a little of that? We want to salute the cowardly lion tonight. Please, a little more of that Lindy music there. Let's hear it there. Bring it in. He was born with wings. He was born with wings. Let's bring it up there. Come on, gang. Oh, sing it together. A lucky star. Oh, yes, sir. Guides him Guides him from afar. So tonight we want to salute old cowardly lion, whoever he is tonight, eating his oats, just sitting there friend. He ain't gonna do no jumping. Oh, let's go! Oh, lucky, 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 lucky old daddy, oh, lucky, lucky. What a cacophony. Speaking of cacophonies, friends, reminds me, this is W.O.R., friendly old crummy, rotten, dirtiest sin in New York. And, uh, oh, speaking of uh, dirtiest sin in New York, listen, uh, I, got, uh, I got a note the other day, and this kid includes, he includes a clipping from the New York Post. You know, every week the New York Post has this, uh, has this list of bestsellers. And, you know, it's their Sunday edition, see? And very official. Bestsellers, and uh, it's bestsellers in paperbacks. And this kid includes this little clipping. And, uh, and on the, you know, the clipping is the list of bestsellers. 
and he has circled in red. And there I am, number five. You see, it's in God we trust. All of this pay cash. My book is number five. And uh, this kid writes me this note, and he says, Shepherd, you fink. You crummy, rotten, miserable fink. He said, you've been laughing at Valley of the Dolls for the last year, and for crying out loud, Shepherd, last week you beat Valley of the Dolls in best-selling paperbacks in New York City. Shepherd, you're a fink. You sold out. And then he signed it in blood. I could tell it wasn't his blood, though. It was turtle blood. You know how kids are. They all collect turtles, you know. I'm thinking, like, oh, poor little turtle. It's not easy. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we are proud to announce tonight that we have been on the bestseller list for one solid month. Did you know that? That's five weeks. I love, love to have a little cheering here there. And so you can do your little bit, friend. You get out of your local newsstand, and you buy a copy of In God We Trust, all others pay cash, and then you sit on the subway, see, and giggle. So, <laughs> sit on the subway and giggle and kick people. And now, Mario, give me my sinister mystery music. <laughs> oh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, Manchu. Ellery Queen. Yes, names near and dear to the heart of everyone who loves real, sinister, rotten stuff. Now these names have come to life in a fantastic series of mystery games. The classic mystery series. Oh. Yes, follow the intricate movements of diabolical spies as the Orient Express makes its way from Paris to Istanbul. In the Sherlock Holmes game, Murder on the Orient Express. And try to find out where the evil Dr. Fu Manchu has secreted the hidden hoard by deciphering the cryptic clues offered in the Dr. Fu Manchu game. Oh, come on, my! What happened in there, man? Ho, ho. And don't forget to chase the elusive assassin with Ellery Queen as he dashes north, south, east, and west in an effort to prevent a dastardly murder. The elusive assassin, the hidden horde, and murder on the Orient Express. Three fantastic games for the man or the woman that has to be challenged to think. And by the way, one thing about these games, if you're dumb, you can't play them. I'm serious, I'm telling you, only smart guys win. You'll find the classic mystery series at the Corvette store near you in the metropolitan area. Corvette is now featuring Ideal's classic mystery series game for your own fun and for the fun of those near and dear to you. Insidious Dr. Fumacho! Oh, yeah, one more. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, every six or seven days, I have to make this announcement. Look, we do not have a studio audience. I get the... Uh, I get probably 50 letters a week from people who say, uh, please send me tickets. We would like to watch you do your program in the studio. Well, this is a studio show. You know, it's just a, I work here in the... Uh, well, actually, I work in the closet where John Gambling keeps his, uh, his little amplifier and stuff here. They don't give me a real studio because it's late now. They, they, they lock the studios up here about 6 in the evening. And uh, what's the matter, huh? Oh, no, no, no. I think Mr. Gambling deserves that big studio there. I think it's very good. He certainly does. It's a very important scene there. And uh, nevertheless, uh, we do not have a studio audience, and I say I, I thank whatever stars there be for that. 
Night after night. I'll tell you, if any of them ever ran into Matt, that would be a bad scene around here. You know, he cries and does all that stuff a lot. And so we do not have... Now, if you want to see us at work, and this is the whole point of the shtick here, if you want to see us at work, come on down this Saturday night to the limelight. And I'd like to make a point here. It's, uh, uh, we get, uh, we get a lot of wild, uh, a lot of great scenes. You know, <laughs> I want to tell you, for the first time, for the first time in, uh, we've been down there almost two and a half, three years, something like that. For the first time, we had a, a potato brain in the audience last week. It was a great moment. And, uh, you know, it was the worst kind of heckler. Uh, oh, yeah, a real heckler I can handle with ease. You know, I enjoy a real heckler once in a while. If he, you know, if he knows when enough is enough, that's all right. Let the show go on. Uh, but this kind of, the worst kind of heckler is the kind of guy that likes you. You know? That in the middle of your show, a guy will stand up and knock over the ginger ale, you know, knock the potato salad down and say, Hey, Chef, I love them all. Hey, Chef, why don't you say hello to my aunt there, Aunt Mabel here. Say hello to her. Oh, wow. Well, you know, in the middle of the story, and so you, you, you wave at Aunt Mabel over there, and then about, you figure that's enough. You know, he's okay, see, for a while. Then, then about ten seconds later, you hear another bottle of ginger ale get knocked over, and you hear this guy start, Hey, Chef! Boy, great, I love him. Hey, folks, isn't he great? Oh, wow. Hey, Chef! In the middle of a story, you know, Hey, Chef! Oh, and then he falls over and knocks down three tables, and an old lady sitting there, you know, chewing a salami sandwich, and, oh, man... And that was the first time we ever had one like that. And so if you would like to get in on this scene, it's a, it's a great scene. We, and by the way, you do not have to be over 21 to come down there. We get, this is a myth, too, that's persistent, that uh, you have to be with somebody who is 21 or over. And a lot of kids come down there with their parents and so on. So this is the limelight, and we'll be there this coming Saturday. And if you would like to make the scene, you give them a call at Oregon 52212. You call them right now and make a reservation, and you won't be disappointed. It's Oregon 52212. And now, uh, getting back to reality, uh, I'll tell you, when I think of that guy drifting down the river, that reminds me of a, one of the greatest scenes that I think I ever saw, ever, uh, in this 20th century relating to a car. Did you hear the scene of the guy drifting on? I wonder, I wonder what they were doing that made him so busy that they did not notice that the car had drifted out to sea until their feet were wet. I suppose, you know, talking. People like to talk, and they got all involved. And you're probably talking about TV, maybe High Chaparral, one of those good shows, you know, and they got all involved. And, uh, hey, you know, I'll bet if, if Cleveland Amory continues to write long enough, I'll bet he's going to write something good one day. You think that? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a rotten person. Uh, oh yeah, well you know how I am. It's just terrible. But things happen, happen. You know, you just you never can you never can account for what's you know what the way it is. I think this is a what's been bugging mankind. You know, for centuries man has been trying to make life into a system. Oh yeah, uh, and you have two kinds of people. You have the kind of system that is bounded by cliches, on the one hand, and then there's the other kind of system that's bounded by rules. You know, like every day at 8.15, we've got to stand up at our desks and uh, pledge allegiance to the flag. And some, <laughs> it makes a lot of people feel better if you do that. And then then uh, at 8.29, we sing 
My country, tis of thee, sweet the land of liberty. Well, now, that's a certain kind of person. They believe in that kind of stuff. They, you know, they, they really do. They, they, they think that if you, if you, uh, if you at noontime, uh, you're going to the school at noontime, you get up and you recite the Boy Scouts oath, uh, you know, what is the Boy Scouts oath? I didn't think they swore. No, oh, I'm sorry, it's a pledge or something. Is it a pledge? Uh, what are they saying? Let's see. On my honor, I will do my... Of course, I understand they've changed it a great deal, the Boy Scout oath. Well, they've taken reverend out, I understand it, because, uh, you know, that's very controversial. And so uh, they, there's two kinds of people. One kind, you know, believes in rules. Oh, I'll tell you they believe in rules. Oh, boy. They quote books by the thousands. Whenever... Uh, Whenever life is a little difficult, they start quoting, they start quoting verses and chapters and quotations, one thing or another. Then there's the other kind of person who looks at life as a gigantic maze, which it really is. It's a chaotic thing, <laughs> and uh, and it comes and goes. And and uh, sometimes when you see a scene that is such a good scene, you you know doggone well that if you ever saw a scene like that in a movie or in a comedy you would put it down as being silly. You'd say, that's silly. Nobody'd ever do that. That's absolutely silly. That's ridiculous. In fact, one day, I'm walking along the street in Cincinnati. Got it? No, Cincinnati is not a city noted for its nuttiness. It's just a city, you know, it's sitting out there. In fact, it's, it's a city that's fairly sober. I mean, as cities go, I mean, it's certainly not as sober as, uh, let's say, Cleveland. That's a very sober city. Cincinnati has a tendency to drink once in a while, but it's a sober city. I will grant you that the Toledo is a lot less sober. Oh, the fist fights at midnight in Toledo, I'll tell you, leave nothing to the, to the imagination. And, uh, you know, it's very exciting sometimes out there. However, I'm walking along the street in Cincinnati, and it's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You don't expect to see any dramatic moments at that time. It's 2 in the afternoon, I'm walking along. There's a river is there, I see. Like this big river, just like the Hudson. Now, when I read this piece about this guy floating out the sea in his car, I immediately thought of this scene, which I have not thought of in a long time. Now, people write to me all the time, and they say, Shepard, how is it that you got to be such a bad scene? Oh, yeah, they're always writing and say, why don't you talk straight like uh, John Wingate? Why don't you come on, you know, and tell us right out what life is about, like Lyle Van, you know, just say, the, you know, don't. Well, we've lived different lives. And I'm walking along the street one day in Cincinnati, minding my own business, just walking along. The sun is shining there. A couple of birds are around, tweeting. Never realized I was about to, you know, one of the, see one of those great emotional educational moments. I was an observer on this one. I did not partake of this one. I was just there. I'm walking along, and I, I'm with this guy, and we have lunch hour. Got lunch, see. And so uh, he says, what do you say we walk down at a river? Okay, you know, it's like here, and it's a walk down the river. The river's very close to the middle of town. In fact, it was right through the middle of town in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati has had many a reason from time to time to regret that, because once in a while, the river takes over the center of town. And then, you know, everybody's in problems. In fact, in Cincinnati, you go into the center of town, and they've got buildings. Now, they're right in, in the midtown area. They've got buildings. If you look up, up around the second and third floor, You'll see a line drawn, and if you care to ask the guys in the building there, they will immediately start telling you about that's where the great flood was. 
Yeah, the flood. And they always talk about the flood, the, the big flood of 47 or 48 or whatever it was. And it went all the way to the second floor. Now, they, that was right downtown. That would be like the second story of, uh, let's say, uh, a Times Square hotel. I mean, that would be very exciting. In fact, it might do Times Square some good, come to think of it, get it flooded there and get a, get a few of the cockroaches chased out. You know, can't you see all those guys with the gold shoes and the pink shirts swimming upstream on 42nd Street? You know, if a big tidal wave came down and just washed it all out to sea, you know, start all over again. Maybe God works in mysterious ways. And so I'm walking down the street one day, and this friend of mine says, how about what's going on in the river? It's okay. And so we go down to the river. Now, the river down there has a big landing. It's like a like a big ramp that goes down. They call it the landing, in fact. It's a, it's a big ramp, and they use it as a parking lot. It's a city parking lot. And down at the foot of this ramp is about a six-foot drop-off and the river. And, boy, that river moves like a, a bat out of you-know-what. That's a real river, boy. Uh, the Ohio River is no, uh, is no Harlem River. That's not the East River. That's a big river. That's a daddy river, you know. That thing's about a mile across, and that baby just rolls on down to sea like there ain't no tomorrow. And so every day, a thousand cars park there. And so me and my friend go down to the river one day. We got our lunches. We bought a sandwich, and we're going to go down the, to the landing and eat our sandwich, drink the beer. And so the sun is sparkling. It's beautiful. And in, I see right there, immediately, I see a guy sitting in his car. And we're paying no attention to it. And he's in the car. Now, I'm, I'm going to have to give you a, a clue here. This car is one of the great curiosity-type cars. It's Curioso. Uh, it's one of the strangest cars turned out in America. I, I'd say in the post-war years. It's a really strange little automobile. Probably one of the strangest cars ever turned out in all time in America. Little, now, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. What car was it? How many of you remember this kind of car? It's a little car, and I'm talking, it's one of the cussedest, one of the most maddening little cars ever made by the hand of man. It's a car that was uh, like, 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 it, like it knew that it was being rotten. It was working on it, you know? And here's this little car sitting down there. I got my lunch. I'm eating it. I'm eating a sandwich and drinking a beer. And, we're looking out at the river. The sun is shining, and there's a lot of girls walking. It's a nice day. You know, it's noontime. And uh, one of those beautiful moments. And here's this guy sitting over here amid all the cars. He's about 30 or 40, 50 feet back in the row of cars. And he's in the car. And I can hear his starter going. The starter's going, <laughs> This car had one of the most snotty, rotten-sounding little starters. It, it sounded like uh, somebody scratching his nail over a, a blackboard, you know, that kind of, goes like that. And then after it would, it would make that little whinnying sound, there was a kind of ringing that would follow it. It would go, boing, boing, boing. We're eating our sandwiches. We're not, we're not aware that we are about to see one of those magnificent moments in American drama. <laughs> Boing. 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 Well, gradually, his battery began to go down. 
You know how it always happens in life? And the next thing we know, it's going, doing, 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 doing. By now, we are beginning to notice this. <laughs> this guy's really sticking with it. And this, this starter had such a high-pitched tone that everybody on the landing could hear it. It was a quiet day. It was nice. It was warm up. And so every time he would touch the starter, everyone would hear it's like somebody blowing a Halloween horn or something, you know? He goes, doing. And my buddy says to me, man, that battery has had it. Bad scene. And then you hear again, doing. And then it finally got to the stage, and gentlemen, you know exactly the stage I mean, when all you hear is a very weak relay clicking over. It's going doing. And this guy's sitting in there, and you could see he's a big fat guy. Now, why this big fat guy who weighed about 265 pounds would buy a little car that fit him like a shoebox, I don't know. This car, uh, yeah, this car reminded me of those little Kraft cheese boxes that they sell the one pound craft low-fend little box, and it was built about like that. I think this car was made out of pressed cardboard or old tar paper or something. And so it goes, and by now, I'm looking over there at this guy, and, you know, I'm thinking a little bit in my mind, maybe I ought to go over and help, you know, push the car or something like that. And he's sitting in the car in the front seat, and he occupied almost the entire front seat of this car. It was little tiny bucket seats, but you could see he spread over both of them, and his, his neck, I have rarely seen a neck as red as this guy's neck. As a matter of fact, the only other neck that I ever saw that came near as red as that was one time when I was out at Yankee Stadium, and there was an umpire, and this umpire was out back at home plate, and Roger Maris was up at bat, and Maris turned and said something to this umpire, and it was like a neon sign went on over his neck, you know, like that. And Maris left the ball, came very quickly after that. But that, <laughs> I don't quite know what he said, but it was pretty good. I, I would like to have known that, what he said, because he really hit the jackpot. And there are a lot of people I would like to say the same thing, too. However, this guy's neck is red, and he's one of those fat, sweating types. And you know the kind of guy that buys jackets that are a little bit too small for him. And his jacket was all scrunched up in the back, and you could see he's sweating through the jacket. And his, his collars, you know, the, the collars is the type that, that roll up, you know, the points point up at the sky, and his tie is all twisted, and he's sweating. And his little car is going... <coughs> well, there was a sudden silence. He stopped trying to start the car. And then the door slammed open. You hear clank, ting, was a door that was made out of solid Reynolds wrap. He slams the door back, and you hear it go ting, like that. And you see the car moving, because this is, you know, 265-pound man. The car weighed 422. So him getting out rocked the boat a little bit, you know? And he's getting out of the car, and you see the car going ting. You hear the springs, and he jumps out of the car, and he's standing next to this car, and he's hitting his hands on the roof of the car, which came up to about his chest, see? And he's going, dum, 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 dum. With that, my buddy turns to me and says, this is going to be good. He said, this is going to be good, and it looks like it's just the start. 
Well, he hit that car about 28 times, and he dented in the top here. Great big ham fist. He's denting in the top. His neck is red, and he's going, I can't, uh, I must tell you that those are euphemisms, friends, for what he actually said. What he said is not, even in this day of relaxed morals, what he said is not fit for a shell-like pink ears of anybody under 75. He was bellowing to the breeze. <laughs> and, and then he did, he did what a, a, gesture, a gesture which I will never forget. He runs around to the back of the car and he pushed it. Now he weighed 265 or better, big fat guy. He pushed this car and that little car rolled like a shot. He pushed it right out of the parking place, ran around to the front, turned the steering wheel and pushed it right down the landing towards the river. He's pushing this little car right, and we're watching. We're fascinated now. This is a real scene. Would you please give me a little, uh, no, the, the second, the, the, the big LP. I need a little of this rotten music. Because man knows, no, I'll tell you, man, that old rotten, crummy, stinking river just flows on down. It just flows on down to the sea. And someday man just likes to sit around under the sun, sit there and drink muddy water. Because there ain't no more to it than that. Just drink muddy water. Clear out the whole track and get it out. Quit messing around. Well, this big fat guy pushed that car down, and I want to say this. I suspect that that is the fastest that that car moved probably in five years. Because he really gave her a shove. And that little car went right down that, right down that embankment about 45 miles an hour, and it approached the cliff. And of course, by now, all the secretaries are standing around there scoffing and drinking, you know. They stopped, everybody stopped like a shot. And that little car just poised on the edge of that cliff, just took one big, big look at that river like the cowardly lion. He dug in quick, and wowie, he was right in midair, just like that. Well, that little old car hit the surface of that water about 15 feet out from the bank. Now, I understand that the water was about 20 feet deep at that point. She just hit that water and skipped three times. That's the kind of car it was. It didn't go right down. You know, when you take a little pebble and you throw it and it bounces, this little car bounced over the water for about three times and just sat there for one long instant and went glub. A glub, a big bubble came up, a little oil pulled into the surface and she was gone. for the plight of mankind, which is not easy. And that car hit that water. I remember it was kind of, uh, well, I guess originally the car, the color of it, I can still see it in my mind. The color of that car probably when he bought it was called something like a uh, desert sand. You know how car people have these fancy names for the colors of their cars, something like desert sand or, or uh, something like... Uh, like chocolate mocha, some great name like that. But actually, uh, the color, after a few years of non-working in the sun and the rain beating down on it, had become rather a, 
rather a bad color. In fact, there's a name for it, it's a rather bad scene. And that car just sank down into the water, sent a little, a little oil up to the surface, was gone. Well, now, we stood there for a minute and watched this, and that guy suddenly became aware that everybody was watching him and had seen him in the moment of his greatest travail. Now, you know, most of us have moments when we throw fantastic fits, but we rarely do it on the larger, on the larger stage. <laughs> I mean, I've seen guys, I've seen grown-up men. In fact, I remember one time a, a vice president of a bank I happen to know or knew of at one time who got so mad one time in his house that he threw himself right down on the living room floor and kicked his shoes off at a cocktail party. No, I mean, <laughs> he got so bugged. <laughs> he reverted to the time he was three. You know, this is a common trick among three-year-old kids. You know? <laughs> Have you ever had the feeling to run into your boss's office and throw yourself on the floor, kick your shoes off, <laughs> and then tell your boss you won't eat? <laughs> Until you got a raise? <laughs> You know, when a kid does it, it's, it's just called a, a crummy little runt won't eat. But when an adult does it, they call it a hunger strike. And uh, <laughs> it's the same saying, you know. And uh, nevertheless, uh, this guy suddenly realized that everybody's watching him, and, and they've seen his, you know, his car go. He looked around, and he's a man probably in his 50s, very official-looking type, and he had a hat perched on the top of his head, little twisted necktie, sweated all up. Obviously, he was supposed to go somewhere in this crummy little car, and, and he turned to everybody, and he, and he hollered out in a voice, which I still remember, a hoarse voice, a voice that was croaking, the kind of voice that contains all of mankind's wailings against the 20th century. He says, I had enough! Nobody said anything else than around there. You know, what are you going to say? You know, he's not hitting anybody. Are you going to charge him with the manslaughter because he drowned a car? Although I presume that in certain societies where the car is worshipped to a greater extent than it is now, I suspect that it may come to that. And he hollers, I had enough! That damn thing was nothing but trouble! What a piece of junk! And they all looked at him. I mean, who could deny it? Who would know it better than he? Nobody said a word. And then he felt a little foolish, see. And he softened just a little bit. And sweat is pouring down his necktie and dripping on his shoes. You know, he's the kind of guy that wears these uh, perforated floor shine types, you know, the kind of yellow shoes. And he looks around and he says, Well, it's not my fault. I try to keep it going. Damn thing always burned oil. Never start in the winter. Nobody said anything. I mean, you know, if we had stayed around a little longer, I suspect he might have apologized. But then he said, any of you want it, you can have it. Go ahead, you can have it. It's yours if you want it. And at that, he turned and walked up the landing between the row of parked cars, turned left at 4th Street, and disappeared into the vast metropolis, into the enormous throng of 20th century men. Just disappeared. Well, I was chewing my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, sipping away at the Ballantine, 
my buddy was eating, I think it was a tuna and olive sandwich. And he's drinking, I believe it was knee-high orange. And, uh, we both looked out at that river flowing on down to the sea. A little bubble now and again, coming up from that little old crummy, rotten, stinking, miserable car. And a couple of the girls giggled. My buddy looked it over one of them and says, don't laugh. You're laughing because you're a girl. And she gave him a dirty look. But every man I've ever known knows just exactly what made that guy blow his stack. Papa's cork. And somewhere tonight, friends, somewhere, someplace, out in that vast, yawning, dark bowl of the Midwest, that great inverted bowl of night. Somewhere out there, there's a man who's tossing restlessly in his sleep, sweating up his pajamas. A man who one time kicked a Crosley halfway across the Ohio River. And that was the name of the car that I'm talking about, the Crosley. I don't think a car since the Essex has been more accursed by the owners than anyone who ever had the misfortune to own a Crosley with what they call the fish can engine. That's what they made the engines out of, little sardine cans. So hang in, friends. Keep your knees loose. The next time you get your necktie caught and your IBM computer and start swinging you round and round like a bolo, you'll know that that's just man's fate. He creates a pyramid and it falls in on him. It's always the way. He creates the Titanic, and the son of a gun sinks. He creates a, well, who knows what the next one's going to be. I suppose a few of you out there still own Edsel's. Well, <laughs> hail and farewell, sweet prince. Hail and farewell. And maybe this year, Richard Nixon will make it. Hi, <laughs> right, George. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? <laughs>